Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Teeing It Up with CMV. I'm your host, Connor Z, as always, with my co-host, Vladimir. Uh, we're back week five in college football, week four in the NFL. And of course, a disappointing, but always full of storylines, Ryder Cup. Hey. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. But first, I know my partner's itching to get something out here. So I'll kind of introduce him and ask him how his week's been since our last show. Disappointing is a perspective. My friend, disappointing is a perspective. Disappointing uh, result, I'll say. There we go. For you. All right. All right. <laughs> That's right. I got. The, I got the European blood. So you can. So yeah. So you can really just play. Ryder Cup is basically your event because you can just root for. You can go yay. For <laughs> yeah, I can wins. sit there and play the flip flop. No. Um. But to kind of kind of do it the usual. I'm doing well. Um. Kind of as, as always, we've got the short week. I'm excited. I'll be heading off to Chicago Thursday night. Um, that'll be a good time. See some friends, uh, kind of hang out and do some stuff that you can't really do in the in the suburbs, as you will. Um, other than that, though, played played probably my last two rounds of golf for the season. Played Saturday, played decently well. Um, Sunday was part of a kind of a I don't know if I want to call it a charity thing, but Played a, kind of in a scramble event for, for a friend's cause, and it's a good time. You know, can't turn down free golf. Played pretty well. I didn't embarrass myself in front of the uh, the other group members, so that's always a blast. How about you? How have you been? I'm good, man. Um, I was up north this weekend. Um, as, uh, I almost said as well. I put, but I played a lot of golf as well. Played 36 on Saturday um, and 18 yesterday. Obviously, we record these on Monday nights. Um, a lot of golf. Great trip. I uh, had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it was my first time playing in a while. So personally speaking, I played I played okay for the occasion. I got better kind of as it went on. Um, got it was in, it was a cool format. It was it was a big twenty four people thing. Um, you played your own ball in the morning on Saturday, uh, and then it was a four man scramble in the afternoon. Thank God, because I would not have been able to play another eighteen of my own ball. Uh, and then Sunday they did like a uh, a draft because they had exactly 24 people. Uh, so it was like a Ryder Cup, uh, basically the last day of a Ryder Cup scramble or two-person scramble match play. Uh, me and our mutual friend were able to get the win in our match. So that's always good to do. Um, but it was, yeah, it was fun. Don't even ask me how the money's being distributed for that because I, I didn't really um, get that far. Hopefully I get my money back. I know you uh, had we'll money see. on. Yeah, I was a $40 buy-in I had to pay for. Um, but there's there was, like, closest to the pin and longest drive for, like, there was closest to the pin on every par three for all three rounds. And then there was, like, I think it was only, like, 10 bucks to win it, though. Um, and then there was, like, a longest drive for every round. And then there was a winner's prize for a round. And you win money if you win your match on some. So there was a lot of... Uh, a cash to be distributed, I guess, between the or what for what you got your forty. Sounds kind of fun. Yeah, I was just so we'll see if I get it back if or so how much of it I get back. I should have, um, the match play win and the I should have one closest to the pin. I know I feel like you sh- definitely should have one for three rounds of what are they usually four or five par threes. Yeah. Um. Eventually, you should get one, and I was probably I think it was the last par three I got it on. So. Um, but yeah, that was that my week. Like you said, kind of, it was weird. I got super sunburnt cause it was, um, in Michigan. I, I'm assuming pretty much everybody that listens is here now. Um, 
it was 80 degrees this weekend and sunny. I was not really expecting that. It looks like it's going to stay that way for most of the week. And then we'll kind of see our first remnants of fall um, this weekend with some um, lower temps. So we'll see, like you said, probably, probably more than likely done for the year, but you never know. I think last year I played in around Halloween, if not early November last year. So you just never know. Um, That's enough of personal golf talk. Uh, We're going to start the show off. Obviously, since the fall started, we've been pretty much exclusively football. Um, The Ryder Cup happened this weekend. For those of you that were able to watch between the uh, time difference and the plethora of commercials that the coverage had in the United States. Uh, The U.S. did lose. Uh, they kind of they were down really bad really early. I think it was five and a half to a half after the first. Um, that doesn't sound right. Uh, but it was, it was yeah, five and a half to a half after the first morning round. Uh, I believe they were down by six going into Sunday. Obviously, it's nice that they do 12 points to give on the Sunday because it does give feel like anything can happen with the U.S. kind of cutting it down a little bit that you thought maybe there was a chance on Sunday. And they, I think they did cut a couple more off. Um, I think one or two they gained on the last day uh, before losing 16 and a half to 10 and a half. 11 and a half. 11 and a half. I knew that didn't sound right when I said it. A um, couple of th- storylines I think I want to hit on. Uh, the first is, the, is Zach Johnson. Uh, widely criticized for not only some of the picks, especially Friday morning, you had him leave. Uh, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Speed got multiple major winners on the bench in the first round after them being all captain's picks, his picks, his guys. Um, but some of the comments he made throughout the way, I just don't think he was kind of the the nice Midwestern fella, uh, was not going to ever be kind of the, the mentality or the leader that you really wanted um, when this team was down. I think it showed his, he, he kind of just kept saying like, Oh, I'm so proud of the guys. Oh, uh, like you could just got beat, especially after the Friday morning round when they got beat five and a half to a half. And you got this guy saying, Oh, I'm so proud of my team. Like, take some, like, I don't know what you can't throw the guys under the bus, especially that early. But I would have liked to seen him more like, Our guys were bad. Like, that's on me. Like, let's get, we got to get it. We got to get back to it. We get back, back to the drawing board. But it just kept being this like, I'm so happy I'm here. I'm so happy we have this team. They're so close. I'm so proud of them. Like it was just never seemed like it worried him. And I think that irked a lot of uh, golf Twitter from what I've seen. It definitely irked me too. And I think he'll go down as kind of someone that's just going to be on the assistant captain's list from now on. Yeah. Um. I'll kind of stick with kind of, you say Zach Johnson, I'll just call it the team choice. Um. The U S team was weak. Uh. There were golfers that, should have been on there. You obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but there's golfers that should have been there that weren't because of politics. There were golfers that probably should have been there. There weren't because, I mean, I don't. I, I say politics when I talk about the live the live tour. I'm sure there was a couple guys on the PGA tour that should have made it over some of the pumpkins and tomato cans that he took. But to the get team choice weak. Um, I'll, I'll say this though, like you you can go the team choice is weak. Uh, and I know they were had great seasons and were champion. Well, like Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon are not obviously not names that necessarily yeah. pop off the page for you, but he had those were auto bids. Yeah, not, he had not, to take those guys. However, I'm not I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about his pure captains picks. Five of his of his six captains picks had losing records. 
Um, Jordan so I know Spieth and Jordan Thomas didn't do well together. Well, see, we criticized uh, Thomas. Thomas played well. He was good. Um, yeah, he was fine. Yeah. When I watched, the, I mean, Spieth hung him out to dry in the, in the Friday afternoon session. Um, Spieth was atrocious. Yeah. Spieth was, I mean, him and JT together were 0-2-1. And, and then he also added a tie in a singles match, too, where I think he blew another lead. Because, yeah, he he, I mean, he was a mental midget. I mean, Spieth played some of the worst golf I've seen. I mean, Speaking of the worst golf you've seen, you mentioned another captain's pick. Uh, it seemed like this could have been a great pairing, but it, it didn't work out. It was Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka, another captain's pick, who had some choice words. He called uh, John Rahm a big baby, quote, for his reactions during the final round of the Masters. I don't know if he was just trying to get in like his head by just trying to out alpha probably Europe's alpha. Um, but that wasn't a good look. And then for him and Scotty to get beat nine and seven, I didn't even know. How is that possible in a professional in with four professional golfers playing? Not only that, but you have two major winners, two guys that are arguably had top five players in the world based on the seasons they had. And they just they can't even make it to the eleventh. They can't even they barely make it to the back nine. Yeah. Uh that was that was pathetic. Um kind of going on from the team trust, I'll talk a little bit about the preparation. Uh on the yeah, during the I, Friday yeah. afternoon round, I I heard that nine or ten of the twelve Americans hadn't played a competitive round of golf in five weeks. Five weeks, yeah. That is unacceptable. Um you can't take five weeks of off of anything and expect to just walk back in and be the same level that you were when you're in midseason form. But um, I think that to, sorry to cut you. I think that somewhat goes back to granted they can't control a lot of it with the PGA guys. The schedule, the season ends right uh, it, with the uh, the FedEx. Um, but I think that's a lot of that's on Zach Johnson being not. You you cut out. Hey guys, I need you guys to go play, or we need to get the row. Oh, okay. I'm sorry to stop you. You you completely cut out for about five or six seconds. Can you restart that thought? My apologies. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to Zach Johnson and him not him not. Obviously, you can't control when the PGA Tour season ends, but him not being comfortable enough with all these bigger names in the locker room as the coach, this Midwestern nice guy, to be. Hey, we need you guys to play. We need to get here a week before instead of kind of just listening to the room and letting them dictate what they want to do. And I think that goes into the players not necessarily preparing as they should have been as opposed to Zach John and Jack Johnson should have. That, that's just another blemish on his record, I think. Okay, but you, okay, you say that um, that some of the Americans might not have had a choice because the PGA Tour season ended. Couldn't they have just gone to play on the DP World Tour? Like, how are they? Oh, yeah. How are the Europeans allowed to go play there, but the Americans can't? Like, I guess maybe I don't know if. Uh, there's something I just don't see there, but I'm not sure. I'll be honest. I'm not well versed if they need some kind of card to play in those events or if they're open invite. I'm sure like they're not they're not gonna say no to freaking anybody that's on a Ryder Cup team. I have a hard time I have a hard time thinking they're gonna say no to a guy of that caliber. Um regardless of like but like I said, I don't know if they're like they need some kind of card to play in those events, but the entire European team played two weeks ago uh and they all i think made the, i think all 12 of them made the cut so played at least fairly competitive golf two yep. weeks ago and did well in that event and it showed and it another thing to go off of the preparation thing they didn't get to rome until sunday night yep 
you wouldn't i was said to me uh or i listened to this in another show is these guys would not go to a major they wouldn't go to the masters having not played for five weeks in a tournament no they wouldn't would, you that would be asinine that would be that's unheard of and so i think it just shows where a lot of these big name u.s guys where the Ryder cup is on their map it's not the most important event in the world to them or else they would have played competitively or else they would have showed some some more preparation going into it and clearly it is or does mean much more to the europeans i don't know if that's a home advantage thing or if that's kind of the state of the team, obviously this is a new younger group for Europe, as opposed to kind of uh, the whistling Straits team that had a lot of guys that were kind of phasing out of their Ryder cup uh, careers, I guess you would say. Uh, and this new young team does, it does mean a lot more to them because they haven't won necessarily as a full group yet. I think it's only John Rahm's second uh, Ryder cup at Rory McIlroy, obviously. And you can see how much it means to him after him being a young cat saying, Basically, these were exhibition matches earlier in his career, and now he's, you know, trying to fight Joey LaCava. Um, do you see the clip? Obviously, Joey LaCava, yeah. asinine, like, weird move, but he needed to do it. It changed some momentum, to be honest, for the U.S. But Rory, at the same time, was that, like, that asinine of a move by him that Rory McIlroy had to get held back by his wife or thrown into the car by his wife because he was trying to fight Joey LaCava? Like, I, I didn't see like, the part where like... his, I didn't see the part where his wife threw him in the car, like held him back. I mean, yeah. I you mentioned the, how much it means to him. I also think the Europeans just have better team play. I I, I, me- I remember hearing something in one of the might have been Saturday uh, broadcasts where they said the Europeans typically take a lead throughout the first two days because whether it's synergy, some kind of chemistry, whatever it might be, they just play better as a team. Right. And then typically the Americans in solos when they're not allowed to feed off each other because they are split up and they are by themselves or they're, they can't really rely off of uh, their teammate to help them when there's a bad hole. The Americans typically come back and that's kind of what happened. Um, I want to say yeah. they were up ten and a half to five and a half. So I guess, I mean, never mind. They didn't, they didn't gain anything. So it ended 16 and a half to 11 and a half, but the, it was ugly. I do want to highlight uh, the the Friday afternoon matches specifically, just because I thought it was hilarious. Um, there was just I don't oh, want to say not, I don't want to say no clutch, but what what the Europeans did closing down the matches when they were coming from behind Friday afternoon was arguably worse than them getting swept in the morning. Um, I th- I want to say the U.S. had three leads going into eighteen. Or at least had leads going into the last couple holes in three of the I can four picture, matches. I can picture three of them. Yeah. yeah, and ended up tying all of them. Now, obviously, you can't plan for John Rahm making two eagles on the last yeah. three holes, and two of those eagles coming from a sixty-foot chip in, and then a fifty-foot yeah. putt that hits the back lip, jumps into yeah. the air, and then it's in God's hands. You can't plan for that, but that's just what the Europeans did. But the Americans did it. They made those miracle shots, those miracle putts. I mean, Justin Rose. You mentioned kind of the older guys phasing out. This might be his last Ryder Cup team. He wasn't there in whistling straights, and he took exception to that. He wanted to be there, and boy, did he prove his worth. I mean, I don't think I saw that guy miss a putt when it mattered. Yeah, he was, hey, he was one of those three that you were talking about on Friday afternoon. Uh, him and It was him and Homa, I believe, because um, Wyndham Clark, after being the only one to put the ball in the fairway, 
decided to hit one to whatever the nearest city next to Rome is. <laughs> I don't know. That thing was way off the map. And then he put his chip damn near in the water. Uh, so a big choke job by the U.S. there, I think, early on. And it was kind of, like you said, although it kind of evened out over the second two days, just that Friday of just being taken it to him. Um, I will say this isn't even like, as much as we say they got taken to him, if you look at some of the last scores over this now 30-year stretch that the U.S. has not won uh, on European soil, it's these are relatively sta- – the final score is relatively standard to what we've seen over the last three decades. Yep. Um which I think, you know, obviously the U.S. has a very good record themselves at home. It's not quite undefeated, the, the Europeans. Uh, it just kind of made me think that what are your thoughts on the, a third party? Obviously, if it's in Europe, the Europe, Europeans get to pick the course in the U.S., the U.S. does. What do you think about a third party? being the ones to actually do the setup for the course. The fact that the, uh, I think this is kind of famously that they set up basically every approach shot that they could between 180 and 220 yards, because they do obviously a deep dive of data that said we were significantly better from this yardages. uh, And we want to keep wedges out of the U S's hands where they are significantly better. So we're going to design a course that does this. Uh, I know Luke Donald was the one who suggested that they change the roughs to even i don't know what the change was but they changed the roughs because the team went there two weeks ago and that's what he saw and that's what they did they changed the roughs but i would like to see uh some kind of change in that in maybe that like not quite as home advantage as it is yeah i think i think i'm actually going to disagree with that point i like the fact that it alternates and in either case you get to like you say you get to tailor the course to what you get to want to do now, you're right, that's not a typical home field advantage that you see in other sports where in like right. other sports, the only I mean the only home field advantage you get in other sports, how right. loud are your fans and how hard can they make it on someone else? But considering golf is more of a gentleman's sport where the fans should technically be quiet during shots. But it's yeah. But it's I, not. I, it's it's really the most intimate event event fan-wise possible that like when you do do get an event where you don't have to be neutral. I think it's arguably the biggest crowd advantage in all of sports. Yes, it is, but they're they're still quiet while you're performing. Like John or when John Rahm's up to the tee, it's just as quiet as when Brooks Kepp is going up to the tee. Now, right, but they spend they spend five minutes of that four and a half hours hitting shots. The other four four hours and twenty five minutes, they're getting heckled sure. and getting yelled at more than any other sport. Like by a guy standing right next to them, yeah, as a guy that, that's true. There is more access glass or up in the stands. There's certainly fact to that, but my argument to that is in two years, you get to do the same thing. Then. Oh, yeah. It, I, I like it. I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's an interesting thought process. Like when you get to specifically design the course, like you said, they made drivable par fours. There might have been three or four drivable par fours. Yeah. They made long par threes so that they could keep the, the, the like you said, keep everything was set up to keep wedges out of, out of players' hands. And I'm okay with that. I, I think that. That's just fuel for the fire for the Americans to come back for the next Ryder Cup and say, "All right, now it's our turn to look at some data. How do we set this up so we can, so we can dominate?" And I think that that's maybe what makes Ryder Cup victories so kind of, especially the ones on the road, so sweet and so rare is that you are battling a lot more, and I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, uh, I I think the fan the fan part kind of got mixed into my argument there that like I don't think that like that there should never be a neutral site Ryder Cup because I think I'm just I was just 
Ooh, you're cutting off again. Ooh. And you, you cut off. You cut out again. Sorry about. No, it's all right. I uh, the I think what got lost in my argument was the uh, I kind of mixed in the fans part of the argument. Yep. And that I think the fans like you can't have a neutral side event at a Ryder Cup. The fans are what makes this spe- event so special. I just think it adds to the disadvantage. Um, but more my main argument, like I said, is that there's no other sport where you literally get to design the playing field to advantage one team more than the other. Um, really, the only comparable I think you could get to um, in that one team actually has an advantage for being home physically in the game is hockey. Uh, the home team gets the last change, but that's literally just matching up players. It's not necessarily affecting the actual output of the game, like the actual courses. Um, so that's just that was just something I wanted to to reiterate. Um, the other thing I think we should mention, the last thing probably is the Patrick Cantley stuff. Um, obviously, it got a report he he wasn't wearing a hat. He's made it very clear that uh, he feels strongly that the players should be getting paid for the Ryder Cup. Uh, there were reports that that caused a riff in the locker room and that he wasn't wearing his hat because of that, and that they were. Uh, that certain guys were in like different locker rooms and it came out that that was just blatantly not true. Um, obviously that kind of formulated into kind of a nice fan gesture where they kept giving him the tip of the cap because he wasn't wearing a hat, uh, which boiled down to Joey LaCava kind of giving the fans an FU right in Rory's line uh, to end that match, uh, which kind of, kind of caused some heated arguments with Joey LaCava and the uh, European team. Uh, I don't know what would, First, Patrick Cantlay impressions on his weekend. Um, and then uh, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about Ryder Cup players getting paid. I didn't care too much about it. Um, like you said, the, 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 the reports were conflicting. First, it came out that, oh, my God, uh, I should be getting paid. And then afterwards, it was like, well, this just blatantly isn't true. And I think as you kind of saw the Americans kind of rally around it when he won that putt, I think it was Saturday afternoon, they started twirling their caps themselves, kind of making fun of the Europeans had been doing it on every hole. Uh, I think that kind of maybe points to a maybe the reports aren't true. If they are, it is what it is. However, I'm of the opinion that when you are playing for your country, you shouldn't be getting paid. That doesn't mean you can't, but it's kind of the same with like international soccer. When when you're on international duty, you shouldn't be getting paid. You're you're, you're representing the country. Like the the United States isn't your boss. They don't sign your checks, so I, I don't think they should. Right, but the PGA of America does, and that's who partially puts on these events, is my argument. I, I think it's there. It, I personally think it's – I see the argument. I unfortunately fall into the – I have zero sympathy for these guys with how much they make now uh, with these given purses and the sponsorship deals, and it's only going to get better now that the – or for them as far as money goes, now that the Saudi is kind of in on everything. Um and that's kind of where I actually think I lean is the I have zero sympathy for them that like, really, do you need this again? I guess, like, do you need more to do this? Um, but I do see their argument in that it's like it's it's got to be bringing in a lot of money for either side, Europe and the U.S. that uh, it's similar to college athletes and that they are benefiting from the, the actual players who are not getting paid. So I do see the argument. I unfortunately fall into probably where I think most of the public is that like you're like, I don't want to say shut up and golf. Cause that's just not the right thing. Not the, not what I mean at all, but, but like, I don't have sympathy for you 
when you should, like you said, when it should be about representing your country and they do get paid handsomely for what they do every other week of the year. Yep. Um, I, the last, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I guess maybe I should have started this with, with this was, I guess I never really understood how much, how much gamesmanship really went into these match plays. Like, I, this is this was the first Ryder Cup I like truly watched as like an avid golfer slash golf fan. Like obviously Whistling Straits twenty twenty one I had been playing for a year, but I don't think I'd been truly into the watching aspect of it. I mean I was watching, I just didn't really understand it. They're giving away and they're conceding putts from sixty feet to try and make sure that the that the opponent's teammate doesn't get half a line. The, the the concept of whatever ball is furthest away that doesn't mean they have to go it just means they choose who gets to go i think i was watching the friday afternoon session when rory and fitzpatrick were playing when they kind of went on their early tear and rory was the away ball and he's like oh yeah matt just go 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 knock your putt in with no pressure and put the pressure on them and then he did and then the americans missed their putts and it's just I never really realized how much gamesmanship truly went into that aspect of it. Because like I mean, when we when we play, it's just oh yeah, get up there, pluck the ball. Hey, that's good if it's within three feet. We don't really think about all the other stuff. So that was kind of cool to see. Right. Yeah, I think I had a some made a similar comment to somebody is you actually get to see the gamesmanship in match play events uh, with how good they are, as opposed to like yeah, like when when you go out there as you know. A, a multi or double digit handicap like there's a little bit of strategy that goes into match play um but overall it's like we're not good enough for gamesmanship to usually matter yep. you know four out of five times so it's 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 a whole new level at the level that these guys are at so yeah i i definitely noticed that as well um transitioning into our normal talk for the podcast is college football um another week i don't know this what i Obviously, I was up north and didn't get to watch a ton of the games. I've obviously done my research, and uh, I, w- I wouldn't call this the most wowing week of football. Um, I'll start with – you want to start with the uh, surprise of the week? Sure. Um, I don't think it's – maybe not necessarily surprise of the week, quote-unquote, but it's maybe a more just an up until now. It's the Oklahoma Sooners for me. 5-0 and oh. going into a top-11 matchup with Texas te- – Texas Tech with Texas in the Red River rivalry. And it's probably the game of the weekend, unless I'm missing something blatant. Uh, the Big 12 is very weak this year, so this probably ends up being a preview of the Big 12 title game. Oh. Um, and we also talked earlier in the summer about how the Sooners needed a big season this year before transitioning into the SEC to try and hope they don't get kind of consumed into the SEC and become some middle average team. And they've set themselves up to do that. In 5-0, and you're going into a game with your main rival. Anything can happen in one of those. And if they go out and beat Texas, I mean, you start talking about college football playoff for them. They'll be 6-0. and They'll be yeah. favored every game for the rest of the season until the Big 12 title game. And, I mean, even if they lose that, if, if you're 12-1, and you're not out of it, even if you're not a champ. Granted, you're not going to get the same leeway that a 12-1 and non-champ Georgia would or a 12-1 and non-champ Michigan because you're not that – continuous power program but if you're 12 and 1 you are right in there with everyone else so this is huge weekend for Oklahoma yeah that's I look at Oklahoma and that like I'm looking at their schedule now and who they played they played nobody and outside of Texas they'll play nobody and there's no ranked teams on the schedule the big 12 uh, is I think the best team they'll probably play after Texas is Kansas yeah maybe West Virginia's 4 and 1 well, I guess the one thing is I'm not because because the the Big Twelve absorbed the four new teams, so I don't even know who if they play everyone every anymore. 
Like, I don't know who they play or don't play because BYU, Cincy, Houston, and UCF are in the Big 12 this year. Right. And they've already played since they've already played since they play UCF the week after Texas, and then they'll play BYU the second to last oh, week of the year. Oh well, I mean, good for them for getting exposure to the new teams for one season before leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what a waste! It's like a hello goodbye. It's the, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us, guys. We'll yeah. see you in ten years for a home and home. Right. Uh, my surprise of the week is the SEC in general. Um, the big bad SEC is basically should be called the South uh, Southeastern Georgia Conference um, because that's the only team that's going to be relevant or in any kind of discussion for maybe even a New Year's Six game at this point. That's an exaggeration, but um, <laughs> I'm more talking in regards to Ole Miss beating LSU. LSU's season is officially over with the second loss. Obviously, it's tough. Ole Miss is no slouch. They're going to be probably a top 20 team by the end of the year. Um, they played Alabama tight until the end. Uh, and the, obviously the week one loss to Florida State, who's um, ranked fourth in the countries and will probably be right up there at the end of the season. So the, these aren't like these are bad losses, but it, in LSU land, any loss is a bad loss. And it's uh, I think Brian Kelly is kind of getting the um, blunt of it now. It's funny how he get you get the year one pass for him uh, and he goes and probably exceeds expectations last year, I think, a little bit. And yep. then already you look at this year, a three and two start, and people are already starting to be up in arms about this. Obviously, it's not the greatest loss or greatest um, start three and two, but I'm more surprised because I think you had LSU in your college football playoff. I think I had Alabama in my LSU, LSU playoff. In my I, I definitely playoff. did not have LSU. I think I had Georgia. But okay. I know what you mean. They, they I mean, they were the, they were that preseason top five team. Oh my God, they're so talented. They're so this. I know exactly what you mean. And that's a team that's probably going to lose another one. And I don't really see Alabama with who else is in the top ten right now. You look at all those teams, and it's like, how does Alabama? Granted, they'll still run the table and probably beat Georgia. And I'll probably regret ever saying this on a recorded podcast, but. How do they get back into the top 10 with all those teams? I know the Pac-12 is – actually, I just answered my own question. The Pac-12 eats itself alive because that's what's going to happen. But you look at all those teams, I mean, even outside of the top four, Penn State, I don't I, – like Ohio State is fifth right now. Um, the two the two Pac-12 teams, Texas, like down the list, I don't see – I, obviously, none of these teams completely wow me like they're the team to beat or they're, we're going to look back in 20 years and say, oh, my God, do you remember this team? But I don't see they're all good teams. It's just so many good teams when you look down the list. There's no great team. Like I don't like in years past, like the last two years, we've had a great Georgia team that's clearly better than everybody else. I don't even think Georgia is that this year, but there are a lot of good teams in that mix that how does Alabama get back in it? Let me help you out with that. Um, they're all going to play each other. Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State all have to play each other. So someone's going to start losing games, and two of them are not going to get to Indianapolis. The Pac-12 schools, Oregon, USC, Utah, or Utah, Oregon, USC, Washington. I don't know if USC's in the north or the – actually, no, they don't even do that. But those schools will start beating each other, so they can't all get to to the Pac-12 title game. I mean, I think Alabama is very much, quote-unquote, alive still in the sense that if you run the table, if you're 12-1 and one and you've beaten Georgia, you're not leaving out a 12-1 and one SEC champion, whether they deserve it or not. I mean, actually, if you're a 12-1 SEC champion, you probably do deserve it. But 
there's there's certainly chances for Alabama to come back. It's just I think they're going to run into some issues where they've still got to play LSU. They they'll have to play a Georgia team if they even make it to the twelve to the title game. So you're it'll be a tough road for them. But I mean it's it's pretty simple. What's in front of them is simple. Win out and you're in. Lose another game and you're out. Kind of like what we just said with LSU. But yeah, speaking of, speaking of the double, I the first team I typed in out of curiosity of who because I just wanted to see a Pac-12 team or Pac-12 team. Uh, is USC, and they close out the year in their final five games. They'll play at Notre Dame, Utah, Cal, so watch that one, Washington at Oregon. Yeah, that is not a fun end to a season. Um, that'll be a very battle-tested team. If they can somehow scape out with just one loss, they'll get, they can put themselves in position for a playoff, but that's a that's a brutal ending schedule. I don't think you come out even though even if they're the best team of all of the of the Pac-12. How do you, I don't see them coming out of that with going undefeated? Like there there's going to be a loss in there. Well, that's sure. what I'm saying. Just one because again, it, 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 a 12 and one conference champion is getting into the playoff. So that's why I said right. avoid avoid the two. Avoid the two in the loss column at all cause at all causes. Um, we've been mentioning LSU. I'm going to kind of move into my game of the week just because that's what I picked. LSU will miss. This was a classic Big 12 game. Kind of weird how no one talks about there being no defense when the SEC schools do it, but that's just because people bend over backwards for that conference. And with the jokes aside, it was, it was a fun game to watch. Full-on track meet. LSU leads 49-47. Ole Miss goes on a drive, and at the end, I, I personally think they should have taken a knee at like the one or the two like Mahomes did to end kind of end last night's game and then give themselves a chip shot field goal. Um, they didn't. Uh, they end up scoring on the play. LSU gets the ball back. I think like a minute and a half left or something like that. In one play, they go from the LSU twenty-five to the Ole Miss thirty-five in one play. And then two oh. plays later, they're at the Ole Miss fifteen. And then they get killed by two stupid false starts, and it kind of just they never really got a true shot at the end zone. But I just think that Ole Miss could have, like, could have, we talked about gamesmanship. Ole Miss could have played the end of their game much better than they did. They gave LSU a shot to come back and win the game again. And then LSU just kind of gave it away with some false starts. Yeah. I, I think that was arguably probably the best matchup of the week. Um, this wasn't a, there weren't a ton of firepower games after such a, obviously, kind of a disappointing week four with all the big matchups that we had. Um, my game of the week is uh, another basic one, I think, is Colorado-USC, uh, the big noon game at 10 a.m. Had the makings of another Oregon game for Colorado. Uh, Colorado comes marching back, uh, makes the game late, kind of proves himself that they're not. I don't know. It's just kind of adds to the whirlwind that is Colorado. Is that like, are they, are they bad? Are they good? It looks like we were looking at a team – that was maybe three, four wins. And now we're looking at a team that, hey, they should be a top 25 team. They just played USC so well. They scored all those points. They, they're they electric. They could score so fast. Dion's amazing. Coach Prime. I don't know where I'm at with them. It changes every five minutes what I think about them. And I think a comeback like this, even though they lost, kind of adds to that. Um, as far as USC, I would think they're on the hot seat. I know they have the best player in college football. But for me – that defense can't tackle anybody um, and they're going to have to play Michael Penix and Bo next to close out the year. I'm really worried for them. I think they're um, if I had to guess right now, they're for sure the odd man out of a playoff picture. 
uh, with that defense. So I just want to give one little kind of counterpoint to that. I don't think it's fair to, I mean, USC was, I don't want to say playing bench players, but USC was into no doubles. Like they were playing prevent defense. They were up 49 to 20 before well, Colorado rattled off 21 straight points. So I know what you're saying. Giving up 41 to a bad Colorado team isn't great, but I think so much of that came when the game was decided and they were just sitting there saying, all right, well, let's go through the motions by no means does that mean they have a good defense. I agree with you. There will come a time where there will be a downfall, whether that's in a postseason game or two regular season games, and their season kind of ends, and it'll be because they finally got outscored. But I, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, because Colorado moved the ball against people who were going at 75% that suddenly we're, we're worried about them. Okay. I just think, like, that's the that's the second week in a row where a defense does not look good against the questionably – inferior or objectively inferior opponent uh giving up 28 last week to arizona state who's now one and four um and like i gave up to i'm looking at the rest their scores gave up 28 to san jose state uh and then i guess 14 and 10 is not that much but those are also to an oh and five nevada and a one and four stanford cardinal so i don't know i i just it, right now my early perceptions it's not going to be them it's, okay it's I, I don't I don't fully disagree. I mean, it's it's certainly an issue. Um, moving on to fraud of the week. I mean, I don't I, I, this is not a fraud. It's just more of a disappointment is what is going on with Cam Rising? Uh, he was supposed to yeah. be ready, he was supposed to be ready at the start of the season. And then they just keep d- d- delaying him by a week and nothing ever comes out. It's just, oh, yeah, he's not playing today. Oh, yeah, he's not playing today. Oh, yeah, he's not playing today. And Utah got to kind of scrape by for a very long time, and they finally got caught up. They lost a game to Oregon State. Not that they were some CFP hopeful, but the longer you can keep a zero in the loss column, the longer you stay alive. And I think that I, – I just don't know what's happening because there's no news about it. It's so weird. Yeah. No, and I I, uh, I made the unfortunate mistake of betting on them, thinking he was going to play. And <laughs> then, again, he just doesn't play. So – I'm a Muppet. <laughs> um, my fraud of the week. This is crazy. I'm going to say this because overall, I don't know if they're a, a true fraud, but I am beginning to have my questions about them. And that's the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, a shaky, I don't want to say last second, but fourth quarter effort to beat Auburn, a bad Auburn team, uh, a bad Peyton Thorne. Not quite as bad as Noah Kim, unfortunately. Um, the scores early don't look like they don't jump off the paper, and they haven't played anybody. That I think this is pretty clearly not the same Georgia team that they've had the last two years. It's still objectively probably, at the worst, a top-five team in the country. Um, but how can I sit here and say you're him when you've played Tennessee Martin, Ball State, you had a close scare against South Carolina. You gave up 24 to UAB, and then now you barely beat Auburn. Uh, I think it's okay to have questions that this Georgia team might not be the consensus. Like We we shouldn't be handing them the trophy right now, team that they have in the last two years. I like that. To the NFL? To the NFL. Start with the Lions? Start Classic. with the Lions. We'll start early in the week. What happened on Thursday night? So, I mean, 
that was probably the best half of Lions football that I've watched in recent memories. I'm talking about the first half. Um, one of the more dominant displays from every angle. You started the game so poorly with that Jared Goff interception. You think to yourself, national television, Green Bay Packers, divisional game, interception. Oh, my God, is SOL back? And then the response was just – it was – I mean, it just shows that, like, SOL is not back. It's dead. Um I mean, you threw, you threw, I think you threw a pick on like your first pass of the game. Then you came back with what, 24 unanswered points after your defense held them on first and basically 15 to the goal. Um, they abused Jordan Love all game. I don't think Jordan Love has looked that great for the Packers, to be honest. I think, I mean, not, not I think, in, they are factually one missed kick away from being one and three. Um, and it, to be completely honest, that game just felt like Jeff Bezos called in some favors at halftime and said, hey, I am not going to pay for blowouts because those referees made an, an insane amount of just weird calls in the third quarter highlighted by that end of the end of third quarter play where the clock is at zero for two seconds. And the NFL yeah. play clock is supposed to be a buzzer. It's not supposed to be like the delay of game where the referee goes up, down, up, down, up, down. It's supposed to be once it hits zero, you blow it dead, and they did it. Here's a question for you: How can you not review that either? Uh, probably it is because... supposed to be just a buzzer. How can like basketball? You can review whether they got the shot off before the buzzer. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I didn't really care too much about it just because what I love about this team is you they don't fold they don't do what other Lions teams would have done where it's like oh my god the referees finally made a bad call now I'm gonna pout and throw in the towel they just kept playing uh and so I didn't pay too much attention about it about it just because they, they they didn't make me pay attention about it they they kept going they kept doing what they needed to do and they had a very handy very kind of I don't say carefree because again they did get close but it was a it was a game in which after the first five minutes, you never really thought the Lions were going to let it go. No, no, it was just very dominating in the first half, and it looked like two different teams from two different leagues. Yep. Um, specifically at the front, obviously Montgomery kind of had his way running the ball. Um, three touchdowns ain't going to hurt a, a fantasy owner like me. Um, I like that out of him. Uh, and I will say, going back to our constant argument about the rookies, three of the four have been great. Uh, Jack, I mean, you could argue Jack, you'd like to see Jack Campbell. Campbell. Yeah, I want to see more Campbell. Or more snaps out of him, but the ones that we have have been fine, I guess. They've been good for what he was. Um, it's actually the second round that has came out to play. Laporte has been a great option. I, I'll say this, like, he doesn't exactly wow you watching him. He's not super fast. He's not, like, not like a crazy good route runner. He's not humongous. He's big, but not humongous. With the hands. He catches But everything. he's just, yeah, he's just a good, he's just been a good target for Jared Goff so far. Yeah. Uh, and that's all you want out of a tight end at the end of the day. Uh, the other one is Brian Branch. I know he is the antenna boy with the way he wears that mouth guard. And obviously he was in and out of that game with injury. I haven't seen anything so far on what the long-term, um, outlook is for that injury I, it looked like it was an ankle at first we thought it was an achilles and we were saying oh no we just lost the greatest thing that's ever happened in the second round to the lions um but he comes back into the game i don't really know why you i know it kind of got to whatever it was 10 at one point um but once it got back up to 17 for most of the fourth quarter i don't really know why you kept him out there as Maybe he kind of kept getting re-hurt 
maybe I mean maybe the maybe the injury just wasn't that bad. Maybe it was some kind of bruise, and it was a hey, you have a ten day rest. It is what it is. Then you can't hurt it any worse. Just go back out there. Right. Um, I guess. I, I kept kind of going in and out. Is my yeah. Opinion. I yeah. I don't. Not, just keep them out. I don't think there was too. I I didn't really have too big of an issue deal or issue with the injury. I mean, it is what it is. It's football. Um. Yeah. You mentioned Laporta puts up top five numbers. It'll be curious to see what happens with his role now that Jameson Williams is back. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is the fans. Um, I, I know I know I, I noticed this and I kind of mentioned it to some friends a couple times throughout the broadcast, and especially obviously as the game goes on and the Packer fans leave, but blue, uh, the, the Lions blue pops because it's a light color, but right off the start, there was a noticeable amount of blue in that stadium. And by the end of the game, it was only blue. And by Monday, the Packers had released dirt by Monday. By Friday or Saturday, the Packers had released a statement. Hey, guys, can you please sell your tickets to other Packer fans? We know that we've taken advantage of this in the past during our away games, and we're very proud of you. But please sell your tickets to Packer fans. And I thought that was hilarious. I loved it. I didn't see that. That is pretty funny. And it's so funny that it's it just feels so good as a fan of a team. In an organization that is like the laughing stock, and then a historically good program and organization like the Packers, that like we are the ones doing that to them. It just feels so wrong and so dirty. It's like I'm can like I, dirty talk. Can like I give you a that. can I give you a hot take? Yeah. The Packers are not a historically great organization. They're a historically They're lucky organization that bounced into two back to back Hall of Famers. Yeah. And because I mean, if you look at what they did, I mean I'm not going to say pretend like I know what they did in the 90s and early 2000s surrounding Brett Favre with talent. I'm pretty sure he won a Super Bowl for him, so it couldn't have been that bad. But for two Hall of Famers to only walk away with two Super Bowls and to be regarded as some, oh, my God, like we're, we're, we're a top five franchise ever. I I, I think they're bums. Like I, I you watch what they did for Aaron Rodgers over the course of 15 years. They never gave him what he needed to do to go win two, three, four Super Bowls. They kept up a tomato and Mike McCarthy and head coach for a while never gave them first round weapons, but I, I just think they're an incredibly lucky uh, franchise that locked into two hall of famers back to back. Now, again, maybe that's a hot take, but that's my thought process on the green Bay Packers. You could also, I know there is that argument and this is, this is like going way back to grandparents time, but like the trophy is literally named after their most famous coach. Too, yeah. So yeah, I'll, there's, there's, okay, I'll, I'm not, I'll add I'm to that. Sit here and pretend like, Oh, before the forward pass was legal and when black people couldn't play, that they weren't great. I'm sure they were. And I know it's really cool that they're fan owned and the one private organization, private, the one public organization. That's really cool. I get it. Like, there's some interesting gimmicks that they have. I just think that as a franchise, the front office, I mean, they didn't even participate in free agency until a couple of years ago and they probably realized, hey, we fucking suck at drafting. We might as well start getting some proven guys that other teams can't afford to keep. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it, can, it kind of feels like they're in what I'll say like the minute uh maybe maybe not quite there to this level a, a team we bring up in the Tennessee Titans and just like holding on to something maybe a little too long and now it's going to end extremely poorly instead of just having your years of being a tanking team um, because you're just kind of holding on to this being mid and that's kind of what they feel like the last couple of years of Aaron Rodgers and now into this Jordan Love area kind of what they're are like I still think this team wins six games in this division, seven games in this division. 
like and you go seven and ten, you're not having a top seven, top eight, top nine yep. even pick. Yep. So yeah, um, they're they're an interesting situation. Um, moving on, where do we want to go? Game of the week, surprise of the week. Uh, let's go surprise of the week. Okay, you want to start? Yeah, and this is going to be kind of a hot take. Oh no, no, this is not going to be a hot take. Uh, my surprise of the week is the Cincinnati Bengals, and that they stink. Yeah, and I know Joe Burrow is playing hurt. And it shows because he's been objectively bad. And I and again, I'll say preface this by I know he's playing fairly injured right now. But I think if you look at their schedule, uh, they get obviously my surprise. They get spanked again. They're now one and three. Um, I think if you look at their schedule, they play the Cardinals, Seahawks, and then they have a bye. And then they play the 49ers, Bengals, Texans, and Ravens. In their next four after Wait, that bye week, the Bengals play the Bengals. Oh, Rain- Ravens is the last team. Sorry, I'm sorry. That'd be crazy <laughs> if they played themselves. So you're looking at you're arguably the best team in your division besides what you think you are, and then probably the two best teams in the NFL right now in a four game stretch. Uh, and then I, I think, in my opinion, why not rush Joe Burrow? He's clearly not healthy. If it, if it just if he just needs the Cardinals game, that's fine. That should be a game you're able to win without yep. him. And why? But why not give yourself a chance against games? Because you can't fall behind. Say I think you can win that without him. Say you're two and three. Uh, Seahawks. Maybe you can beat him without him. Probably not. Uh, but then you get down to this 49ers, Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Jaguars stretch. You could easily, if he's playing unhealthy still or if he's out even longer because he gets hurt in one of these next two games, you could easily be looking at a team that's two and six, two and seven, three and six, and you have no chance. Why not sit him now in a game that you think you can win without him, possibly two games if he needs it, or even a bye week, and he gets three weeks to not play. You're sitting there still probably three and three uh, and gives yourself a chance to not really be too far out of it because all I don't think anyone in that division is that good, I think. Even the Ravens, I don't – they don't – necessarily pop off the paper for me um but they're all gonna be there they're all gonna have nine wins the 10 wins they're all gonna be there all four of them yeah so i i think actually i love that idea um depending on how bad that is sit them against arizona and if you have to like you said depending on severity sit them against seattle give them the 28 days to rest because that's i mean that's a pseudo month off and then like you say, from two and four, you can come back from. From three and seven, you're not. You're you're at that point. You're probably too far back now. Obviously, if other people help you out and your division leader's only five and five at that point, maybe. But I don't know. Uh, I I really like that idea. Another thing I wanted to add: is Jamar Chase kind of getting some sassy comments. You can tell he's getting frustrated. Yep. I believe he said when asked, uh, "Like, what are you doing to get open, or are you open?" Was the question he says. I'm always open, uh, and this is a contract year for him. Obviously, him and Joe Burrow supposedly had this really good relationship. College teammates won a natty together, have been to a Super Bowl together. Uh, it just push comes to shove. The man's got to get paid, and he knows that this is frustrating, even if it's not Joe Burrow. It's got to be hard when Joe Burrow is playing like this, even if he's hurt. Um, and he, I believe his signing bonus is $40 million. I don't know if Jamar Chase has made that in his – 
for your career yet. Definitely. Um, so it, yeah, so it's there's got to be something there. I know they're supposedly very close and have a good relationship, but it's interesting if this thing continues to go south, how that dynamic will go uh, in a Jamar Chase contract year. So that's the last thing I wanted to add it for my surprise of the week. So for me, this is, I will preface this, this is not my surprise. Maybe slightly surprised about just how good he is, but this is for the NFL and for all the the dumb motherfuckers who thought, oh my God, he can't write his name down on a test, so he can't play quarterback. It's CJ Stroud. Mm. Um he has been by far the best rookie QB, and I would I would be able to comfortably put him even higher up than that. He's on pace for forty eight hundred yards. He's got six touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, those stats as a rookie with a Texans team which the offensive line is banged up. They don't have alphas at receiver. They're playing with a bunch of first or second year guys who are kind of just happy to be there and hoping to carve out a role so they can get a second contract. There is no high draft pick. There is no just there is no Jamar Chase top ten pick on that team. Um, he's played incredibly well. The Texans are two and two, which is tied with every other team in the division. I mean, he's looked very poised. Like I said, no interceptions. He, he, he plays clean. We know that the mechanics were there. That was never really an issue with him. It was always kind of the well, what's going to happen when someone kind of gets in his face? Like, and he's looked great. Um, I still personally want to see more mobility out of him. He can do it. He can move, but he's been sensational. And I think there's beyond that for me, maybe, I don't say maybe personal, but there's just more reasons to why I love him. There's obviously the anti-Michigan aspect where I'm always going to kind of take the OSU side. Um, and then there's just the I, I really hate this narrative that OSU quarterbacks can't play in the NFL. And people are always like, well, well, Troy Smith in 2006, who was an eighth round draft pick, he wasn't good. And neither was JT Barrett or Cardell Jones or Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. None of those guys had NFL aspirations. If they did, they wouldn't be six round picks being asked to go play receiver because they're fast. The only quarterbacks that you can use against uh, C.J. Stroud, and I don't think you can, is Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. Those are the yep, only two OSU quarterbacks say. ever who you can say, "Oh, well, they they were they didn't they did bad." And on top of that, it, to me, it kind of it's kind of like what people tried to do with the Lions when Holmes and Campbell first showed up, and people are like, "Well, they've always gotten it wrong, so I'm not even going to try." It's like Dwayne Haskins has no correlation to C.J. Stroud other than they both played for a team in Columbus. That is it. You cannot say, oh, well, they've always been bad. Every new quarterback is a new quarterback. Every new regime is a new regime. So I love seeing that from him. Um, and then this is kind of where I was going to kind of go for one of the little debates where I said, can you make a case for a, a, a playoff push for the Texans? Um. No, kind of because of the point you said earlier, if they do not have anything around him. Um, and no. I mean, do I have to look at the schedule so well, far? So I was, that, that's where I kind of went. Um, again, it's four games into the season. It's not even a quarter of a season anymore in the NFL. It's early. Um, their following schedule, it's actually kind of funny. They play the Falcons, the Saints, the Panthers, and the Bucks all in a row, which I don't think I've ever seen a team play an entire division one after another. That's kind of cool yeah, to me. Jesus. But the Bengals, Jaguars. Um, they've already beaten the Jags once. Brown, 
Yeah, you, you you do look. They do this fourth place schedule does look nice. I will tell you that they don't put that anybody it's anybody not like, that I go. Oh wow, that there that's a definite loss. Besides maybe the Jaguars, and they already beat them, like you said, and the Bengals who are one and three. Maybe the Bucks, um, the Browns. Maybe I don't know. Like no, then it's, it's like then it's Titans, Jets, Titans, Colts. I mean, the division's bad, like you said. Yep, they're already um, tied for first. Again, it's only two and two. Worst team in the division. What? Honestly, the Colts have impressed me more at two and two than the Texans have. Interesting. I think you're looking. I I think that you know what I think the deciding factor is is that the Colt or the Texans are what they are. The Colts are waiting. Hopefully, I'll preface this by hopefully for arguably the best running back in the league to come and play football. I see. Oh, so you're saying that they're, they actually have something to add, whereas the, the, the Colts or the Texans are not hiding a Jamison Williams or a Jonathan Taylor or a Cooper cup on injured reserve. Correct. They are what they are. That's fair. I mean, I'll say this. It's, it's four games. It's not, it's not even a quarter of the season anymore, but my thought process is if they can go two and two in their next four games, which is Falcons, Saints, Panthers, Bucks, and there's you're sitting at four and four, and maybe your division's also sitting at four and four. Because like we said, they it, it's a really weird division. The Jags are maybe not as clean as we thought they would be. Trevor Lawrence has kind of looked a little weird. They're not as clean as we thought they would be. And I look at the Jaguars' schedule. They have the Bills in London. They play the 49ers. They play the Bengals. They play the Browns. They play the Ravens. They play the Bucks. Like there's are a lot of losable games still left. First place schedule versus fourth place schedule. That's all I can right. say. So again, it's early. I know I love the boy, but I can can you make the case? Maybe. Uh, so moving into my game of the week, I, I think there's two fairly good options for this one. Uh, I think you're going to go with the obvious option. So in the sake of talking about more games. Uh, I'm gonna say the. Where'd it go? I'm gonna say the Chiefs Jets in Sunday Night Football. Taylor Swift and everybody was in the house. Uh, Zach Wilson did exactly what Zach Wilson needed to do to torture Jets fan even more. He played his best game of his career, so now they will never move him. And it'll just continue to torture Jets fans week after week with <laughs> subliminally bad football. Um, the Chiefs, uh, the fact that the Jets can beat the Chiefs, I'm arguably Patrick, and I say this, uh, Zach Wilson's best career game, arguably Patrick Mahomes' worst career game, three interceptions. Um, I think the joke was, I saw a couple memes of Patrick Mahomes' wife in that booth with Taylor Swift and all the celebrities. And it was, it was, uh, it was a like a Taylor Swift whispering something to her. And it was like, why does your husband throw so many interceptions? Or could you tell your husband to stop throwing so many interceptions? And I thought it was great, um, considering obviously a lot of the backlash with the, them and the weirdness that I think is them. Um, but I don't know. It was a good game. It surprised me. It went down to the wire. Uh, and as far as the entertainment value of Zach Wilson um, being the guy in New York, I guess, um, and they'll continue to win probably four games this year. So, Yeah. Um... <laughs> I, I I don't know what you were talking. I I I don't feel like that was a very obvious game at all. I'm gonna talk about it later in my fraud of the week, but yeah, it was an entertaining game to watch. Um, I don't. No, have to I'll be honest. It was two. I said there's two options, and I picked a different one. I, I see. I feel like you were you were thinking Bears Broncos, right? 
Uh, I also, I actually were thinking, I was thinking the two overtime games. Interesting. Yeah. So, I my my game of the week is one of the overtime games. It's going to be the Eagles and the Commanders. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that game. I originally wanted to do Chicago Denver, but I think this one just had a little bit more storylines to talk about afterwards. It's kind of the classic take of nothing comes easy in the NFL. I mean, Washington led Philadelphia in the first half the entire the entire half, and it wasn't like a ha ha ha. We held them to a three nothing. They were moving the ball. Um, yep. Eagles. Kind of did what Eagles do. Question marks about the defense, though, so I don't far. Think so no, I, it, it's one game. The defense is the defense is good. I mean, you scored no, but the were... defense has not looked good this year. Vladdy is the problem. I think they've given up thirty plus points. That's the third time this year. Let me see this. I, I, I'll check it out, but I don't. I don't know if I can go there. Okay, it... never mind. The Vikings is only twenty eight. And the, okay, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take your word for it. But, no, I mean, frantic final couple minutes. Um, Eagles score a touchdown. And then Washington on a last-second effort from Howell to Dotson. They score a touchdown. I think OT was predictable, and I kind of want to highlight Washington's poor choice. I talked about um, Ellis, or Ole Miss's gamesmanship earlier. I think Washington should have gone for two. You're on the road in Philadelphia. You are the weaker team. You, whether you want to say that to yourself or not, you can't look yourself in the mirror and say the Washington Commanders are better than the Philadelphia Eagles, even as a Washington Commanders player. You've got one play from two yards to win the game. I think you got to take that. Yeah, I'll be honest, though, in general, I, I I think if the Commanders were in the NFC South and not the NFC East, they'd uh, be a division winner. I think if, if two of the top three teams didn't play in their division, they're a 10-win team. And I think this game was more the commanders proving that they're solid than the Eagles having a fluke game. Jalen Hurts looked great. Uh, obviously, the defense secondary has had some questions, but this is not necessarily the Eagles having a fluke, but the commanders proving that they're, like, they're going to be at least 500 this year, if not better, in my opinion. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm underselling them. I just – I think you have – at that at that particular moment, you're the weaker team. I think you have to go for the two and for the win instead of trying to go play an overtime game. Yeah. Um. Any other games you wanted to talk about in the NFL? Uh, no, I'll just kind of go back to the Jets and the Chiefs game. I'll talk about my kind of fraud of the week, and I'm going to sure. say the officials, the Stripes, the Zebras. Um. The ending to that game was not serious. That was a that was just that was pedestrian, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring up the scripted this and that, but I'm not gonna say the referees screwed over the Jets, but they absolutely screwed them of the chance of getting the ball back in the span of I mean the calls were terrible in the span of five plays. Yeah, you had a questionable Patrick Mahomes uh, intentional grounding call, which I didn't even know that there was a that an aspect of intentional grounding was oh if the quarterback is being contacted he's allowed to throw it into the ground. I didn't know that was a thing, but they said I that. Either. And so maybe I'm just a casual, but it kind of looked like again that that one that one was questionable. I'm not going to say that was blatant grounding, but the next two calls were some of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, we'll go to the defensive holding on Sauce Gardner. 
where Mahomes, a little under pressure, throws a little loop-de-doop on third and 20, gets intercepted. Um, guy falls down. You're thinking, oh, my God, Jets have a shot. But then you look at your screen, and it says flag on the play. And then you watch the replay, and you first realize not a lot of contact, and they let worse go on later on. The more egregious thing to me was the referee who threw that flag waited to see the interception happen. Now, this wasn't some classic human error of, oh, well, my eyes saw it, so I need like one or two seconds to like reach down and grab my flag. He waited six or seven seconds, saw the Jets guy come down with the ball, and then said, oh, fuck, let me take the flag out of my pocket and throw it on the ground. That was terrible. I mean, he almost hit the, he almost hit the dude with the football with this flag. You, the, the fact that he waited makes me think, what is going on here? And then two plays later, you watch kind of a classic Bill Belichick play where the Jet, the, or Jets, the, the, the Chiefs left tackle is when I say holding Jermaine Johnson, I mean, if I counted it on a video, it was a nine second hold. He had him between the numbers, like, like the classic, like, hey, don't do this or it's going to get called. At the end of it, Jermaine Johnson's punching him in the head trying to get free. And it wasn't called. Those were two of the worst. It was atrocious. Now, do you think that because they obviously have the best player in the NFL um, and now they have the biggest pop star in the world coming to their games, that the script is just writing itself these days with all these calls? Because we saw it week one. We saw it firsthand week one. I think there is a genuine... Uh, I, I'm not going to say script, but thing out there where marketing. calls go to the Chiefs because yes. what? marketing targets mm-hmm. because hey, of the storyline marketing. Yeah, there it's go. just That's yeah. The, the more the more games the Chiefs win, the better they can sell it. And then you I mean you mentioned the Taylor Swift thing? It was it was funny for 35 minutes of yeah. Oh, oh, she's no, she's, she's dating an NFL player. It's really cool. He's a funny guy. He almost grabbed the microphone at the White House. It's like no, Travis Kelsey's a fucking lunatic. And, like, when they originally started with the whole thing, like, I understand marketing. Like, you would be stupid if you were the NFL if you didn't market Taylor Swift. But there's a difference between marketing and peddling. Like, if you want to run an ad, that that is what it is. But if you show up at my house 17 times a week, ringing my doorbell asking me for Girl Scout cookies, I'm going to punch you in the head eventually. It's so boring. It's it, it It's atrocious. Yeah, but it's all anyone can talk about. So it's brilliant, as atrocious as you want to make it out to be. It's brilliant. I don't believe it for a second now. It's totally a publicity stunt. I don't know how uh, it's not a distraction in the Chiefs locker room at this point. It's got to be. It's becoming. It is a distraction. It is. It should be two and two. Yeah, it is a distraction. They haven't been that nearly as good. They beat. They've killed the Bears. It's really the only impressive thing they've done this year. Is that impressive, though? Who hasn't killed the Bears? Exactly. That's what I mean. Um, and I think I think it is a distraction. And I, I think it's going to come to a point where uh, it's interesting. You wouldn't peg Andy Reid for the guy to let that kind of crap go on. But then again, you hear his comments about how he, like, set them up. And it's just like they're, they're turning into just like a, a rom-com. Like, and, and it's just like – and they – Already have Mahomes, who's the, the big guy in the league right now, the face, arguably the face of the league, next Tom Brady, whatever you want to say. Uh, it's too sus. It's too much. It's a lot. And obviously now it's kind of turning into their show and their league. And it's 
it's it's obvious to the non-casual. So. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got NFL social media accounts changing their bios. Ooh, the Chiefs are two and zero with Swifties. It's and and sleep, sleeper made Travis Kelsey's picture uh, Taylor Swift. See, sleeper is what it is. Like that's just a bunch of dudes in like someone's basement having fun because like they're 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 kind of their little own app. I get it yeah. from sleeper's perspective. I think that's like a funny kind of knockoff of what's happening. But yeah. It was funny for 35 minutes. That's all I'll say. I don't. I yeah, don't I think the second game was just like it was. It's too now. It's too as everything is. Everything becomes. It just soured me after. I was all into it the first week, and then the second game I saw her there, and I was just kind of like, "Cool, cool. it's it, done." We we've said especially it. with all the celebrities there this time. It just felt like it's like, hey, let's go watch. You want to you want to know or really get them if I bring a, 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 another seven A list celebrities? Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was dumb. Um, the other thing, like it, I think we've mentioned it before, if you're a spouse, if you're a loved one, if you're a family member of an athlete, I understand Taylor Swift gets to play by different rules because she's not just some regular, she's not some regular like old college sweetheart. But I don't want to know your name. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have to uh, move my car. So, um, I quick th- end, quick, quick end here. No, absolutely no rambling pit phase. Quick, quick end. We're gonna get. We're gonna give you the facts and get out of here. So we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I gotta grab my keys. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone.